Okay, this morning we're going to start a new series, and it's called The Promise. And so I'm going to talk to you about some of the amazing, exceeding great and precious promises that God has, has given to us. I'm going to start by, by telling you a story, okay? And it's going to be a story about an airplane. And the last time I told you a story about an airplane, I could not believe the, the, the unbelief that was in this room because people thought I was making this up. Uh, even my own staff, Joey, said, this is not, he's making this up. This is a joke, you know? And, and, and I told a story, right, about a pig on a plane, right? And by the time I finished telling the story, Lynn stood up. Stand up, Lynn. Lynn stood up and said, and his name is Freedom. And it's John's cousin that we're talking about that, that brought this pig on a plane. And, and, and nobody, no, they thought it was a setup. So I want you to know, I'm going to tell you another story uh, in opening in this morning's series about something that took place on a plane. And my own wife said to me the other day when I was told her the story, she says, that can't be true, you know? So I, I want you to know, this story appeared in, in the Associated Press in the New York Times, and, and I had to take a photograph of the article to show her, to prove to my own wife the the. the believability of this following story. So, so, so here it is. A number of years ago, on September 3rd, Captain uh, Jack Dempsey was flying a, uh, a, an eastern two-engine plane. It was called uh, an express plane. Uh, from, he was with his co-pilot. There were no passengers on board, but, but they were flying about 5,000 feet over the coast of Maine. They were on their way to Boston to pick up passengers. And uh, the, the pilot said to the co-pilot, he said, do you hear that rattling sound? There's something that's going on. Let, let me just go see. You stay at the controls. So he went back to investigate the, the rattling sound that was taking place. And it happened to be an unsecured, the, the main door of the cabin was, was unsecured. And at that particular moment, there was, the plane just hit turbulence. And he went tossed tossed toward the door, the door opened up, and he was sucked out of the plane. Now, now, this is true. Somehow, he managed to hold on, and he was holding on. The co-pilot knew something was wrong, didn't know exactly what happened, but he, he had an emergency landed, and the headlines, the headlines were this, 10 minutes of absolute fright. For 10 minutes, this guy hung outside of this plane as it, as it went from an altitude of 5,000 feet to, to a safe landing, okay? Um, that really did happen. And, and I just want, want to say this, that, that life, and John, John said he was on the plane. He was the co-pilot. No, no. <laughs> it was Lynn's cousin, all right. The, the, the thing is that when we go through life, I mean, isn't that like life that a lot of times we're just going along and everything is smooth and, you know, there's, there's no problem. And then all of a sudden, smack, we hit turbulence. And our life is kind of turned upside down and we're kind of hanging on, you know. I, I want you to know that at moments like that, for us, for those of us who are in Christ and believe in Jesus with all of our heart, we, we know this, that there's somebody who is at the controls. He's not our co-pilot. He is the pilot of the affairs of our life. And that, and that to believe in the sovereignty of God, that God rules over everything, 
even the very hairs on my head are numbered by God, is a great peace, especially when you're caught in the midst of turbulence. Now, I don't know if Captain Dempsey was a believer, but I happen to feel that somehow maybe he had a conversion at 5,000 feet, you know? I mean, if it was you, wouldn't you, you know, cry out to the Lord, you know? And so I don't know what happened to him after that, but, but, but I know this in an interview, uh, he, was, he was asked about what had happened, and he said, he said, he said, the company has asked me not to talk about the incident. You know, it's like we, we don't want to admit that one of our captains was flying outside the plane, you know, at 5,000 feet. But I want to talk to you this morning about some of these great and exceeding precious promises that we've been given. Listen to what David says in Psalm 37. He says, if the Lord delights in a man's ways, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. You know, I, I heard that this morning in s- several of the prayers that, we, that, that folks prayed this morning before service. And, and even a little while ago, I think Jamie uh, alluded to the fact that God has us in his hand. Well, one, of the, one of the most precious promises of all was spoken by Jesus in John 10, 28. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And then he said, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Do you know what it's like? to be safe and secure in the hands of the one who's in control of everything? I hope you do this morning. Uh, Because he is not only given to us great and exceeding promises, but he's a great promise keeper. You know, the other day uh, I said to uh, the staff, I said, it's just a word association. What's the first thing you think of, right, when you think of promise? And Joey right away said, salvation. And I asked Doug a little later on, I said, what do you think of when you think of promise? He said, promise keepers. But when I asked Andrew, who happens not to be here, who I told him I was going to tell in, on any, anyway, the first thing that he thought of was he said, beautiful women. <laughs> salvation, the promise keepers, beautiful women. I just, I just looked at him and said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's all I will say about that. We love Andrew. Great guy. Here's a statement for you about what the promises of God are. In my opinion, the promises of God reveal the heart, the mind, and the desires of God for his people. And so God has given to us these exceeding great and precious promises. They're like, they're like the stars stretched out in the sky, God has punctuated hundreds of hundreds of promises from Genesis to Revelation. Everything that we ever have need of, God has made a provision and a promise for us. In the book of Jude, it says that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. I believe that one of the ways that we can guard our hearts, garrison, and wall ourselves during times of great turbulence is by keeping ourselves in the love of God. And the way that we do that practically is by remembering the promises. The Holy Spirit comes to us and he, he leads us and guides us into all truth. He, he reveals the things that belong to Christ and to us. He reminds us of the word of God. So here's a question I gotta got just simply ask. What then should be our attitude toward these amazing promises of God? 
we should count them, answer simple, we should count them as being more precious than gold. David said, yea, than much fine gold. They are precious, and they are gifts that God has given to us. They are the revelation of his love and of his heart and of his desires for us. And so he's giving us great promises. Peter tells us that everything that pertains to life and godliness, everything that has to do with this, this life of faith that we're to live and godliness, becoming conformed to the image of God's Son, he says, has been given to us in Christ, and he, he makes the connection that they are given through these exceeding great and precious promises that we become a partaker of God's nature. So God has made provision for us in his promises about everything that we'll, we will ever face in this life, including the turbulent times. Or like the song that we sometimes sing, that he never lets go through the calm and through the storm. We can have this confidence that there is one who spoke the world into existence, and, and, and yet he has condescended to number the hairs on our head. And because it's impossible for God to lie, because it's impossible for God to break a promise, because it's impossible for God's word to fail, we have security, we have comfort, we have strength, we have encouragement that comes to us through the word of God. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will never abandon you. That's another one of his promises. The one who said that was the only one who was abandoned by God in such a way that it, it blows our mind. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He that comes into me, I will in no wise cast out. And because he holds us and because he's, he's in control, we can, we can weather the most difficult turbulences that we could ever face in this life. I want you to consider this promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And then we're going to get to a real big one in a couple of minutes. But, but I, I, I just want, want, want you to hear this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace. I want you to notice the word all that is in this one sentence. God is able to make all grace. And his grace is enabling. His grace is empowering. His grace is sufficient for us. So all grace is able to abound to us so that in all things, at all times, and having all that you need, you will abound in every good deed or every good work. All things, all times, all grace abounding toward us, meeting the needs of his people. Several weeks ago, you know, I, I hit a, a bump, I hit a turbulence in my life, and, and I wound up going to the hospital uh, and spent nine days in the hospital. Nine days of my life spent in the hospital. I can't believe that even now looking back, it was like a, a nightmare. I hated it. I mean, who likes going to the hospital unless you're going to have a baby or something like that, right? But I mean, I, I, I went there because I didn't, it's not that I felt bad. I didn't, I had, I had no problem breathing. I had pneumonia, but I had no problem breathing. It was showing up in an x-ray. It wasn't getting better. A week later, the x-ray showed that it increased by 20%. It started to abscess. And so the doctor says, if your fever goes, if your temperature goes to 102, go to the emergency room. So, all right, so, so my fever went to 102, and my wife bugged me to, to go to the emergency room. And so because I love her, I said, okay, I'll go. And so, and so 
I, I go, and they admit me into the hospital, right? They said, you need at least three days of, of intravenous antibiotics. And, and, and maybe we'll let you out by the weekend. And so that was Wednesday. I said, all right, maybe by, by Saturday, by Sunday, I can, I can be back in church. And so a- after three days, you know, they did CAT scans, x-rays. You ain't getting better, so you got to stay. You, you need at least five days of antibiotics. And, and the five days of antibiotics turned into, no, you need seven days of antibiotics. But, but here's the point, that every time, I had, had like this team of doctors that were kind of taking care of me, and they weren't on the same page. Like one guy would come in, and he would say, you know, I think we'll be able to send you home tomorrow. And I'd get all excited. I'd start to pack my stuff. In fact, I did that on two occasions. I literally packed my stuff. I'm ready to get out of here. You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't because, you know, I didn't sleep in the bed. I slept in a, 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 a chair. I was a, a recliner. Uh, and, and it wasn't because the food was lousy or, or it was uncomfortable. They wake you up and you don't get any rest. Actually, I was getting worse in the hospital. I didn't have an appetite. I was, I was losing weight. And, but the thing that bothered me more than anything else, the, the thing that I could not handle was what I was doing to my wife. And the days that she didn't take off from work, the days that she had to go to work, she'd come straight from school until they kicked her out. She'd stay with me. And, and then I, I knew that she was going home to, a, to an empty, to a cold house, to a dark house, and that she'd have to be all alone. And that killed me because... Me strong, you know? Me don't get sick. I don't get sick. And here I am faced in my week. But the thing that bothered me on top of that was every time a doctor would say, I think we can go home tomorrow. The next day it was, uh, or an hour later, somebody else would come in and say, no, you, you can't go home. And so, so it stretched out to nine days. And uh, you got to understand something. I make coffee for my wife in the morning. I, when I send her off to school, I make her breakfast and I make her lunch. I pack her lunch because I love her so much. And it just killed me that I couldn't be there to do those things for her. You got to understand, we have a relationship where I don't know if other couples do this, but we hold hands in bed before she goes to sleep. And that absolutely killed me. And every time I got disappointed, I started to remember this verse of Scripture that my grace is sufficient for you in every circumstance, in every situation. I, I, I saw my own weakness. I, I saw, I saw when, when, when a doctor said, you could probably go home tomorrow and just feel just like elated. And then when another, another person came in and said, no, you ain't going home, just dejected. I know what it's like to feel downcast. But I also remember the promises that his grace is sufficient for us in every circumstance and in every situation. A believer does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Did did you know that when Moses first said that, Jesus quoted that Deuteronomy 8 portion of Scripture in in, in, in his wilderness temptation? He said that to Satan, man does not live by bread alone, but by every... But did you know that Moses was talking about the words that were coming from God were the promises of God. It was the provision of God. Moses was reminding the children of Israel throughout these 40 years of wilderness wandering, God's provisions for you. He he fed you with bread from heaven. He gave you water out of a flinty rock. He protected you so that in the daytime you had air conditioning, a pillar of cloud by day, and at night you had heat, a pillar of fire by night. 
Your shoes did not wear out. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell. God is absolutely faithful to his promise to provide for you. So that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that God has spoken to us. And those are the promises by which we live, by which we stand. And when we're standing on, listen, when we're standing on the promises of God, we have solid ground. We have stability. Even in the midst of a world that's, that's violent, a world that's, that's sometimes broken, sometimes horrible for us. God has graciously provided for us. But the thing that we need to remember is that because because we walk by faith and not by sight, because this is the kingdom of, of faith, that the promises of God are obtained through both faith and persistence or faith and patience. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews 10, 36, it says, and, but you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you may obtain the promise. You may receive the inheritance. So the, 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 these things like patience and, in, and faith are so absolutely important. But if you're a child of God, then you are blessed, the Bible says, with Abraham's blessings. You're the seed of Abraham. And, and, and the reason why we're the seed of Abraham, because in Abraham's DNA transmitted to us in the life of faith is the ability to believe that what God has promised, he is able also to perform. In the face of things that are impossible, we believe that God is able to perform what he has promised because he's a faithful promise keeper. So I gotta ask you this question. Do you trust in the integrity of God? Do you believe in the integrity of God's character? Did you, do you know that God is faithful, that he watches over his word and that he hastens to perform it? It is a matter of trust. So I want to take you to what I think is, for this morning, one of the most encouraging portions of Scripture that we can consider this morning for a few minutes. And I think it will encourage you, especially if you are going through a particular time of turbulence right now. So in Romans, the eighth chapter, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, and we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know, Paul says, with confidence that God is the one who is working all things together for our good and for his glory. And therefore, because of that, we could face anything in this life. No matter what is happening outwardly, no matter what is happening inwardly in our own hearts, if our hearts are downcast or if outside we're we're going through a time of, of being tossed upside down, and hanging on for dear life. He says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that we might, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Don't let that verse scare you. It simply says that God's destiny for you is that as a believer, you would be conformed to the image of his son. You are in process. You're being developed in all the affairs that are taking place, all of the circumstances that are taking place in your life. God says that he will work together for your good and for his glory. Believe that. These are the things that are shaping us. These are the things that are making us more like his son in character and in nature. And then it says in verse 30, 
And those who he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. But please notice that the activity of, of things that God's the one that's doing this. He's the one that's justifying. He's the one that's calling. He's the one that's glorifying. It's God's activity that's at work in us. And therefore, because of that, Paul says, what are we going to say in response to this? What, what can possibly be our response to all this great news? Because if God be for us, then who can be against us? Who can possibly be against you if God is for you? If the creator of the universe, the king of the cosmos is for you, working all things together for good and for his glory. So Paul goes on to to say this. He says, he who did not, this is the logic that God wants us to see. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, meeting all of our needs by his riches and glory in Christ? What is that that verse saying? Uh, Imagine if somebody gave you a present, a priceless present, something that's worth, I don't know, a billion dollars, say. Is it going to skimp on the packaging? Is he going to put it in a brown paper bag or a plastic bag and hand it to you? If, 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 if the gift is so great, is he, is, he, is he not going to give you everything else that goes along with that, that's necessary, that, that is required for life and godliness in Christ? And the answer is, if that's what God did for me by not sparing his son, and, and not sparing his son is one of the, one of the deepest thoughts that we could ever think about. He says, who will bring any charge to those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died moreover, who is raised to life? What Paul is is doing at this point is is he is working out the first verse of Romans chapter 8. Which, is, which says that there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He's working out, he's expositoring that particular portion of truth for us. And so he says there, there is no grand jury that will indict you if you're in Christ. There is no one who can bring an accusation against you. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Never will be, never, never will be because Jesus himself was in the place of condemnation for us. And then it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? If there's anything that you can think of, Paul, come on. Come on, give it to us, Paul. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and the word convinced or persuaded there is absolute. It's, it's one of the strongest words that can talk about a, a position of believing and that's what we are. We're believers. And Paul says, this is what I believe I'm persuaded of, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither things present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything. I mean, he is stretching the imagination of his mind. But then he, he says this, which really sums it all up. Nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation can sever the love of God and me. You know, last week uh, we saw these images of, of uh, different parts of the country that were 
in one night, there was like 70 different tornadoes. A lot of people died. And, and, and there was ruin. And, and some of these neighborhoods were totally wiped out. I saw some of the interviews with some of the people. You know, th- those that obviously, right, had, had loved ones that died, th- there was an unshakable confidence. Even for those who had been suffering, the loss of all that they had, and yet they believe that God is good and that God is faithful. This is stability. This is, this is assurance in the midst of an unstable and shaky world. Men and women of faith understand this and they remember the promises of God, that there's nothing that God cannot do. On, on day eight of my captivity in the hospital, yeah, it was captivity. You know, I tried to escape. They wouldn't let me. Uh, I, got a, I got a little glimpse, you know, for a few minutes of maybe why I'm here. I had been in a room with a 21-year-old. They actually moved me out. He had been, he had been vomiting for three weeks, and, he, and as long as we were together in the hospital, he was vomiting every day. They didn't know what was wrong with him. They gave him all kinds of tests, and and, and the truth of the matter is that he was concealing the fact that he, he had been doing recreational drugs and he had been going through withdrawals. And, and that really was, was what was going on with him. And, and when, before, I, before I even knew that, before he admitted that, I, I gave him my testimony. And I said, when I was in my early 20s, I was addicted to recreational drugs. And it was no recreation for me. It was, it was a bondage. And I said, but... But Jesus Christ, and I I shared with him the love of God, set me free from that bondage. And what God did for me, he can do for you. I said that what God did for me, he can do for you. And there was an openness and there there was a sparkle in his eye when he was listening to every word that I was saying. And I prayed with him. So I go back to my room and I sat back in my room and there was nobody in my room except me at that point. And I go back in my room and just, just the Spirit of God just came upon me just for a few moments. And I, and I thought to myself, if, if that's the reason why I'm here, if this is my assignment, then so be it. Your grace is sufficient for me. What we're hearing here in Romans chapter 8 is this, that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from God's love. Nothing going on on the outside of you, nothing going on on the inside of you that can separate the love of God. You can blow it big time and there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. And that this God doesn't love you just now because you started loving him, that he's always loved you and that he always will love you and that there's nothing in this world, in all creation that can sever that relationship. If you are in Christ, if, if you have been linked your life to Christ, nothing and no one can separate you from, your love, from his love. Even when everything is going wrong, even when you hit speed bumps and, and air turbulence, and, and we all do that from time to time. It happens to us in a broken world. But know this, he said, I will never, never will I ever leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Therefore, we can boldly say, we could could say with confidence, the scripture says, that the Lord is my help. 
Therefore, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Goes back to that, that original thought of God be for us, who can possibly be against us? I want to say it again. The one who promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us is the one who himself was abandoned. He was forsaken for us. You know, this, this whole idea that God is at work, even in the bad things. Sometimes it's hard for us to get our mind and wrap our mind around that, but it's true that, that God is at work even when e- evil raises its ugly head. And one of the greatest examples of that in Scripture is the life of Joseph. And very briefly, you probably have heard about Joseph in, in, in Sunday school and probably you've heard it in dozens of, of messages, but, but Joseph is, is thrown into a pit by his brothers. And from the pit, he go, he's being sold as a slave to a caravan that's going down into Egypt. And in Egypt, he becomes the servant of a guy by the name of Potiphar. And after some time, the Bible says, but God was with Joseph. In spite of the fact that his brothers betrayed him and his brothers sold him for the, for the price of a slave, God was with Joseph. In the midst of that slavery, God was with Joseph. And he's in Potiphar's house, and he finds favor in Potiphar's house. Then he's falsely accused of rape, and he's sent to prison. But God was with Joseph when Joseph was in prison. And he found favor in the sight of the jailer. And the jailer, the jailer recognized there's something unique about this young man because God was with Joseph. And years passed by, at least a dozen years, Joseph spent in jail. And, and Joseph is, is forgotten by the cupbearer. You remember the story. Joseph, on his way out, he says to the cupbearer, he says, do me a favor, when you talk to the king, put in a good word for me, you know? And the the cupbearer forgets Joseph for a a number of more years. Until one day they call for Joseph. And Joseph comes with the interpretation of the Pharaoh's dream, and he he becomes at that point the savior of the world because a famine is going to come, and seven years of famine are going to come and wipe out the seven good years. And, And so, and so, He's made vice regent. One day, his whole life was changed. He's made the ruler over Egypt. Only in the throne is the Pharaoh greater than Joseph. And years go by, and and Joseph's family comes. And Joseph's family, they don't recognize him, but Joseph sees them, and he goes out, and he weeps. And After Joseph's father, Jacob, dies, his brothers come, come crawling to him, groveling before him, and, they, and they're afraid. Now he's going to exact revenge on us because our dad's dead. He's going he's to kill us. And, 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 and Joseph says to them, don't, don't be afraid. And he began to speak kindly unto them. And he says, I'll take care of you, and I'll take care of your little ones. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, to change and to save many lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the things that are taking place in your life? Now, listen, I I know some of you right now may be going through real hard times. I mean, the loss of a spouse is hard. You know, maybe it's financial turbulence that you're going through right now. Do you have more bills than you have money to to meet those bills? Maybe it's a broken relationship. Your your mother and father, after 20 years, announced that they're going to get a divorce. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone that you love. You just can't seem to get an answer to prayer. 
I want you to know that God is faithful to his promises. And that no matter what, listen, no, no matter what you're going through, you can face anything in this life knowing the love of God, knowing that nothing in all creation can sever that relationship. That, that, that means that nothing that can happen to me of eternal consequences, nothing can, can, can harm me eternally before God, that he's always loved me and he always will love me. And it's just so amazing when we think about the one who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, is the one who himself was forsaken by God so that you and I would never know what it's like to be alone, to be lonely, to be punished. For Jesus has paid the ultimate price for our redemption. In his book, The Cross, Max Lucado gives us a little glimpse into this that I wanted to just kind of share with you this morning before I close in prayer. He's a really gifted writer. I love the way uh, he, uh, his mind works. And he's talking about the abandonment of the Son of God at this particular point. And he says this. He says, here's the cup, my son. Drink it alone. He said, God must have wept as he performed his task. Every lie, every lore, every act done in the shadows was in that cup. Slowly, hideously, they were absorbed into the body of the Son. The final act of incarnation, the spotless lamb was blemished. The king turns away from his prince. The undiluted wrath of a sin-hating father falls upon a sin-filled son. The fire envelops him. The shadows hide him. The son looks for the father, but the father cannot be seen. My God, my God, why? It was the most gut-wrenching cry of loneliness in history. It came not from a prisoner, not from a widow, not from a patient. It came from a hill, it came from a cross, and it came from a Messiah. My God, my God, he screamed, why did you abandon me? Never have words carried such hurt. Never has one being been so lonely. The despair is darker than the sky. The one who was one with God is now separated. You know, thinking about that feeds into the understanding of what it means that God did not spare his son for me, for us. And if he's given us this gift, will he somehow skimp on the, necessi the necessities that we have need of? I don't think so. He who promised is faithful. Do you believe that this morning? That he who promised is faithful. And like the song says, he never lets go through the calm and through the storm. He holds us in the palm of his hand and none can pluck us out. You know what? Until, until the day that I see him face to face, until that day, his promises reveal to me his heart, his mind, and his desires for me. I hope, I hope that you'll look at that this morning and say, I, I, I'm not seeing you yet, God. I'm not feeling you right now. I can't figure out what's going on, but I believe that your promises reveal your heart, your mind, 
and your desires for me. Have that and you'll have an unshakable faith. Have that and you will possess with patience the promises of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you are gracious to us and have given to us what Peter says is great and exceeding promises. That through these promises that we might become partners with you and your divine nature. Father, I thank you this morning as we begin this series that, that the hearts of your people will be strengthened and encouraged that your, that your people, Lord God, would find in you the great promise keeper peace and joy in believing. For this is what you intended, that the Holy Spirit would take the things that belong to Christ and reveal them unto us that he would remind us, that he would lead us and guide us into all truth. And I pray for a word that would just go forth this morning for somebody, for all of us, really, that are going through turbulent times. Let that word just bubble up in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage and strengthen our hearts for, for the words that you've given to us, these promises. We live by every promise that you've spoken. And we all sit together. Amen.